With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor-in-chief critic, not joined this week by editor-at-large Ann Thompson, who's getting much-needed rest after award season, and we'll have her back eventually to tell us where she went and all that good stuff. For the time being, I'm in Austin for the South by Southwest Film Festival, and as I'm speaking here, it hasn't started yet, so I don't want to get into too much detail about the lineup or the highlights from the movies. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about there, and I promise we'll get to it in future episodes. For the time being, I wanted to share uh, an experience I had getting to town before South by Southwest started, where I got to hang out with uh, the founder of the Austin Film Society, a guy named Richard Linkletter, who maybe you've heard of before, obviously, amazing filmmaker, also the founder of the Austin Film Society. So I sat down with Rick along with Holly Herrick and Rebecca Campbell, who run the day-to-day of the Austin Film Society, to talk about this really exciting new theater that they're launching in just a couple of weeks. The Austin Film Society has had a theater of sorts for a long time, really since uh, Rick started it in the 80s to uh, galvanize the Austin film community, a long-storied history that uh, also encompasses his own film career. But... uh, in a couple of months, they'll be launching a twin screen art house cinema and event hall with a bar and uh, its own uh, programming year round that's going to be, allow it to kind of become a much more substantial, robust presence in the Austin film scene. Uh, so, we talked about how they see it fitting into this ecosystem and what sort of issues are most relevant to allowing a theater like this to kind of come into its own. And I thought it would be a good conversation to share this week uh, without Anne around and before we get into South by stuff, because I think it's a nice moment to take a pause in between award season and all the crazy film festivals to look at another issue we don't talk about nearly enough, which is exhibition. So here's an excerpt from that conversation. I hope you enjoy. A lot of the theaters here skew younger, so what sort of conversations have you guys been having with uh, the distribution crowd about kind of, is it a divide and conquer thing? Or? Well, what the, the things we've been hearing the most are there just aren't enough screens in Austin for the types of, the, for the smaller distributors, essentially. Like, there's a lot of titles that will go to Dallas or Houston yeah. and won't come to Austin, which oh, to us so is just like... You know, it's just crazy, kind of, because, and it's just because we don't have, um, just don't have the number of screens here, and the theaters here are incredibly popular. So the Draft House and the Violet Crown are sold out all the time, all the time, and so they really don't have the room to take some of the smaller and international titles. And so that's where um, the Regal Arbor does a good job, um, but even even still, if they have, you know, if they're having a really good run of a bigger title, there's just so many films that are missed, and so that's where we have the real opportunities with um, with the films that we know we can get an audience for and that just aren't coming or are coming so late that, you know, they stop being, they're not, it's like four months after the New York Times review, so right. it's just like, yeah. at that point, um, the moment is past, is past, so. Yeah, there's, there's always room. 
Yeah, and I think that there are titles that we that we want to get behind because just because of this is a film we want to show and we think people are going to want to see it in our theater. So there might be certain titles that will have an overlap um, that we hope we will because we hope to work with. Um, all the distributors that have the films that we want to show. <laughs> so I think there'll be some, but we, um, you know, we're going to be focused on the titles that aren't getting screen space otherwise. Um, but there'll be some overlap. Yeah, that's for kind sure. of our mission. Yeah. You know. When did it start to be a real conversation and not a, a pipe dream, as it were? Right. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I don't even remember. Look, Ooh. the pipe dream been going on for years. <laughs> in our heads, we were like, we've got 20 acres at Austin Studios, and we're yeah, going to we be here for 75 years, so we're going to manifest a cinema, and it was like two screens, and then Holly was like, no, it's three, and then, she, then it was like, yeah. no, it's five. <laughs> we're like, we're going to do it. It'll be 20, 30 million. Okay, so all of that was a natural, you know, internal yeah. nonprofit conversation that needed to happen that was about a real vision. Meanwhile, we had this part-time space, and then we heard through the grapevine, our partner was not going to renew her lease. So all of a sudden, it was going to be like, we're going to either go forwards or backwards. And when we heard that, we had to act. And it was like December of 2015. And so we were like, we're either going to go back yeah. and be nomadic, or we're going to just seize the day. And we went into research mode. And at that point, it was so fantastic that there's a developed art house scene in America that we could tap into their knowledge base. And Holly did the research you know, with the, on the cinematic side, and we sort of, we just went into business planning mode. So December 2015 is when it went from pipe dream to real. So like, let's do it. It was an opportunity slash crisis. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you would identify as being outside of scope, uh, beyond the scope of the films? I mean, what what do you not want to do? Are there, are there kinds of movies you don't want to show? Or yeah, we we certainly. I mean, mo most um, yeah. studio, most large studio films by major studios. Anything that's already on would be that would that would be very very we'd wide. Yeah, would. I mean, we would never show. I mean, yeah. There's there's tons of Hollywood films that we would not be showing. Hollywood, right. um, Hollywood product. Yeah, you're not, and you would not. That. But it's an interesting kind of a thing because I mean, there's like so many different ways that you can kind of cull from that world too, right? Because you need an audience to show up, and I know a lot of times people try to innovate on that front, right? Like, yeah, you see at the Draft House is like sort of this mixture of yeah. art, art house stuff, international stuff, and you know, a lot of people don't talk about it, but they are showing big studio things, and that's yeah, more and more, you know, even, yeah. So, and and in the franchises around the country and I think the draft house is you know their their identity is very fan focused mm -hmm. um, and while I wouldn't say I just think there's there's sort of a slight difference um, in that identity versus being just a you know general lover of any an interest of any film and I think right. that not that those audiences are totally different but I think the I think there's a certain audience that has no interest in seeing a superhero film mm -hmm. um, and I think that is a lot of the people we get. Although a lot of our audiences would, you know, are going to see anything, and they're mm -hmm. going to go see X Men and come mm -hmm. see our films. So I don't, I don't think it's exclusive, but um, we just don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, especially, it's just not our, it's not our mission, and really, we're trying to open a window to films that people wouldn't discover otherwise. And that was initially yeah. the idea of the film society. It's really the passion for film and the bringing of in of films that, you know, we 
depending on what you want to see. Yeah, the adventurous film goer who we've cultivated over the years who trusts our programming. You know, it's like, oh, well, if they're programming, I'm going to give it a chance because I've been so rewarded so many times. Well, what's your challenge you foreseen is getting people in the first place to show up? I mean... Well, I think that's part of the strategy with the new release programming is we will be showing some new releases that, you know, have a little bit of a profile. And I think that that will bring in a lot of new people who don't necessarily go to every repertory film that's playing in Austin. Um, and so I think that's one strategy. And the other is is just getting the word out that there's a really special Austin-centric cinema that's not like anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just bringing people in for the experience um, and then having them just pick a film and be a part of the community is something that we're talking a lot about. Like that you could just walk through the front door because you've heard that there's this mm-hmm. special Austin place, this yeah. special, unique cinema that is only this small. It's fun to yeah. see that someone discover film, you know, that some young person wander in. So many people move here, you know. They, they wander in, see a film, and then you see them back over and over. And, you know, something's happening there. That was, uh, everybody who loves film can tell you their origin story of when they started, where they were, and when they started watching a lot of films or looking at it differently. You know, so. Was there a model when you saw the kind of deficiency in the Austin film scene for what needed to fill that gap? Like what another another city or, or other art houses, anything like that? You know, you're always aware of what's going on in other cities. You know, what's in New York, L.A., San Francisco. So we're going to do our, our own little version of that. But it's just... I remember we've shown films like one time I remember the way it really clicked into me. We showed Agnes Waters' Beaches of Agnes. Such a great documentary. Mm. Never played her. We showed it one night. Mm. Full great audience. And I said, you know, if we had our own place, we could show this for a week. Mm. And so many more people would see it. Yep. You know, that's just one thing yeah. from however many years ago. You know, I was just like, yeah. So it's just always been, we just know it's better if we can get those, get the screens and have complete dominion over them. So, you know can give that long run to things, hold things over, just you know, a lot more leeway. Do you have any specific allegiances to AFS filmmakers once they get their grants? Is it uh, on the table? All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you in, in terms of programming their films? I think that's a great... You know, I was just talking with somebody about this yesterday, and I think, like... It'll be very special. It's, yeah, it'll be really special, but I think, like, all the filmmakers have a different... Um, thank you. Have a... Um, Everybody has such a different strategy now with their release. And not everybody needs or wants or will play at our theater. Some people are going to play at Draft House and Violet Crown. And that's if that's what's best for their movie, we're in full support of that. So there's really not like a proprietary thing between us and our filmmakers um, in terms of exhibition. I think it'll be great fun when it works out. And it always is great fun when it works out. But, um, you know, sometimes they're going to do a digital release and that's it and we'll promote it and it might not be on the screen but we we have a um you know sometimes those things gel it's really what's best for the film um that's not always going to be you know showing it at our theater sometimes it will be i think the film history side of it is really fascinating though because i feel like young viewers now are just overwhelmed with content in a way they probably weren't when you were a young cinephile and it's all you know the the world we dreamed about just the availability of the great works of cinema history the fact that they're so available you can get filmstruck right now and just yes. there it all is right. and yet every young person I meet it's just they do feel overwhelmed 
It's like, know, where to start? Well, I remember <laughs> taking a vacation from work so I could see a certain film. You know, planning months ahead, sure. on the repertory calendar, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Like, oh, Mean Streets is bad. I mean, I tell yeah. the story to young people. Like, that sounds insane. <laughs> right. like, oh, what about video? I heard about it for years, hadn't seen it. Mm. I noticed on the calendar they're showing it. So I'm going to make sure I can see it, you know, six weeks from now. Right. That's, you travel across the country maybe to see something. Wow. Yeah. Um, but so we're in an ideal world now, the sheer availability. But I don't know if. You know, when you worked a little harder, and I think now that working a little harder is getting in your car, going to a theater. That need, that communal need, that's what we have here in Austin. You know, people who really, I mean, they know the difference, you know. Yeah, we all have Netflix, we all have Filmstruck, you know, whatever. But that communal need, you know, if this is a, I was saying, it's like a, it's like a church, you know. Like-minded people, you go there, and you can, you can pray at home. But he also has a bar that doesn't hurt either. Yeah, and it's <laughs> with vodka. It's yeah, got so. easy parking too, and I mean, yeah, it's exactly kind of a huge deal right now. It, right. And it's near public transportation, yeah. and it's just yeah. going to be comfortable and fast and easy to get there. Yeah. What used to be North Austin is now Central Austin. So yep. hey, we're, we're conveniently located. That's an in joke from like 30 years ago. Thinking, I don't know whoever goes up there. Yeah. But it's but, uh, next to the Greyhound station from I know. Slacker. Yeah. <laughs> I right know it well. It's like right down the street. Came full circle. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's just a kind of like, the, I just think about that. Yeah. Every, 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 like, it's just. Is there a plaque there or something? I would go to that <laughs> every no. night to we'd get our film back from the lab. We'd send it on a bus. I'd have to go. Was our shipping thing. You you could send I it logged on, a to lot the of lab time. on a Greyhound bus. Yeah, for certain things. Yeah, you could if you were delivered. Yeah, there was kind of a you could ship stuff via Greyhound. Oh, okay. Rolls of film. You probably still can. Yeah, I would imagine. But nobody does. Yeah, <laughs> to get on that bus a lot too. A lot of trips to Houston via the, via the dog. Well, that's the conversation, folks. I hope you enjoyed it and. Uh, Check back next week. We'll have more from the South by Southwest Film Festival.